Let's open our Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. There were only two chapters in this little book of Haggai. Let me give you a division of this second chapter. In verses 2, in chapter 2 here, verses 1 through 9, we have a message of encouragement. A message of encouragement. And then verses 10 through 19, we have a message of purity and patience. And verses 20 through 23, a message concerning safety. So the first part of it, 1 through 9, is a message of encouragement. You could just write down encouragement by that one. And then 10 through 19, purity and patience. And then uh, 20 through 23, uh, safety, concerning safety. That give you a kind of division of this uh, second chapter. Now, we always take it verse by verse as we go along. Now, notice it says here, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai. Now, saying, let's stop there a moment. Remember, each message begins with a similar thought as this. Of all five of these messages, we had two in the first chapter, a message of rebuke and warning, that was verses 1 through 11, and then a message of commendation, 12 through 15. In each of these sections, these five different messages in these two chapters begin with uh, his relationship to the word of the Lord and God's word coming to him and the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet. Saying, in verse 2 it says, and here's what this message is about. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying. Now let's stop there again. Uh, Notice the message was directed to Zerubbabel. This is the uh, religiously, I mean the uh, civic leader, governor of Judah. And Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, this is a religious leader. We've already pointed that uh, out before in earlier uh, remarks. And then it says, and to the residue of the people. So you have three different addresses here, or three different ones that are addressed here in this uh, message. First of all, the civic ruler, the governor, the high high priest, uh, the religious leader, And then the remnant of the people, the residue of the people. So these are the ones that are being addressed here by Haggai the prophet. And what is he saying? He first asks a question. He says, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Remember, they had laid the foundation for the temple, the rebuilding of the temple. And we said it had been 16 years had passed And nothing had been done, hardly, except the foundation of the temple. And uh, he says, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Saw the first temple, the the glory of the first temple. And how how do you see it now? And here's the, after these two questions, he says, Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it, that is the previous temple, as nothing? When they compared the two temples, it was as nothing. To the first. And you know, if you turn to the book of Ezra, chapter 3, I believe it is. Look in Ezra, chapter 3. And let's read verses 10 
through 12. You'll see what they thought about the foundation of this temple. Ezra 3, verse 10 through 12. It says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with the trumpets and the Levites of the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because He is good, for His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. That was good news. But look at the next verse. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men, he's talking about those that had seen the glory of the first house, that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept and with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. They wept with a loud voice so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. The ancients, the ones that had seen it, were sad. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. So some were so happy to see the foundation laid, but others of the older ones that had seen the first house, verse 12, they, when they when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice. It seemed nothing, back to Haggai chapter 2, in verse 3, is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? They saw the small foundation, they saw how it was laid out, and they thought, oh my goodness, this is not even going to be anything like the previous. The glory seemed to have been gone. And so, they're sad. They were discouraged, and they accounted the smallness of the, their cause. They could look upon the smallness of their cause. You know, it's an amazing thing when you build a foundation for a house. When you build a foundation, and you look out there, you think, that's not big enough for anything. The foundation always looks small. If you look at some of these big uh, Walmart stores, and when they lay the foundation, you look at that and say, this is going to be a super Walmart. And you look at it and you think, well, it cannot be. I remember when I built this little room on the side of our house uh, a few years back, 10 or 12 years ago or whatever. Uh, I went out 12 feet and then 26 feet and back uh, across the house and then back to the end of the house. And... Uh, my wife wanted me to make it about 8 or 10, you know. We're just looking for a little bit of addition. And I went ahead and made it 12 by 26 in this round. It's L-shaped. Some of you have seen it. Some of you have not. But anyway, I got the foundation uh, poured, and she looked out that window, and she thought, my goodness, there's not room enough for anything in there. So when we got the room built, it looked it's a lot larger than she thought. And uh, it's an amazing thing about a foundation. Some of you that have been builders know exactly what I'm talking about, or some of you have seen foundations. But what we're seeing here is the reality of the fact. They said, is, is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? You know, sometimes when we're discouraged, we need an uplifting voice. And I want you to notice the word yet. Circle it in verse 4. Yet, now be strong. Haggai now, or then, becomes the prophet of comfort and hope. And you know, things are not always what they seem to be. 
They're not always, we look at something and we think, oh my goodness. We fold our hands and we almost just give up and think nothing good is coming. And it's not only concerning what we're looking at here, but many times our spirits are uh, discouraged on account of how we see a particular thing. And you know, there's so many things in life that we get a sad picture of when it's not as bad as you think. As one has said, this too shall pass. And we'll come on the other side and things will look brighter. The Bible says that sorrow or weeping endures for the night, but what? Joy cometh in the morning. You ever been in the hospital a long night after surgery or something, or hospital stay, and you just the night seems like it's 24, 36 hours long. But when the morning comes, in spite of all the pain and suffering, it seems like there's a little relief and joy. And I don't know why it is, but I guess God just made it that way. So joy cometh in the morning. He speaks of that in the psalm. But notice here, he says in verse 4, and here's where Haggai becomes a, the prophet of comfort and hope. He says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. God has a word of encouragement in spite of how we look upon things. And he says, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land. Isn't it an amazing thing that when you have this discouragement and disappointment, that if someone comes along with a word of courage, it just seems to help everything? Remember the storm on the sea? Jesus said, Peace be still. And he said, where is your faith? Then after the resurrection, he says, fear not. He'd come into their presence and say, do not fear, do not be afraid. And so Jesus always has a word of encouragement for us. And we need to look to the Lord, and as we had in our Sunday school this morning, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now look at this. It says uh, uh, in the last part of this verse, be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. Just go on and do something. Work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. He just says, do the job, and it'll come out all right. Can you imagine how much we need encouragement? And then I want you to notice another means of encouragement. He says, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear you not. What's he saying? They had forgotten God's covenant toward them. His deliverance uh, of them from Egypt, from Egyptian bondage. Remember, they were in bondage and for 400 years. And God said, I will deliver you. And He brought them out of Egypt. And He saved them by what? Two things. Blood and by power. That's the same way we're saved, isn't it? The butler of the Passover lamb and the power of God that brought them across the Red Sea and into uh, out of bondage by blood and by power from the power of Pharaoh. And uh, so he promises you and I, we, we also have a covenant relationship, but he says, according to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear you not. They had forgotten God's promise and God's word to them. So many times we forget God's promises. And so he goes on to say in verse 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once, yet once, 
It is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. He's telling them of something in the future now. This takes us beyond the time of Haggai, the prophet, under the coming of Christ. The next portion of Scripture has to do with the second coming of Christ. And notice what he says here. He makes a promise that could not have been fulfilled in Haggai's day. And we'll see as we progress along. Now let's notice in verse 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Someone says, well, if it was a little while, then it had to be more or less in Haggai's day. But they failed to realize Second Peter 3 verse 8. Would you like to turn there? Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. I want you to notice what it says here. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. A little while. And he says, and a thousand years as one day. You know, people get so excited nowadays and say, well, the Lord promised He's going to come again, that all of these things would come to pass that's predicted in not only the Old Testament, in the prophets, but in the New Testament where Jesus said He's going to come again. He says that, uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what? I will come again. And remember, there were scoffers in these days of Peter. And they said, well, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. They haven't continued as they were. But then Peter reminds them that a thousand years is as a day with God. So, what do we say? Since Jesus has been here, been a couple of days in the sight of God. He doesn't measure time like you and I do. He says, I'm going to come again. He said in Haggai's day, a little while. Still just a little while. We think of Haggai's time, we say, well, it's been about three or four days. See what I'm talking about? Because he was... Since the New Testament time, Christ's coming, a couple of days, and put another one or two on it, back to Haggai's time, at least one. So it's been about three days. He said, a little while, and I will come, and what? I'm going to change things. So we don't see things as God does. So look back in the book of Haggai. Hold your place where we're studying, if you will, and follow this along. Verse 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once... It is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. This takes us beyond the time of Haggai, because we know that the desire of all nations has not come. When you think of the second coming of Christ as the desire of all nations, not especially the person, though he is the desire of your heart and mine, but the things to be set right. What do we mean the desire of all nations? You know, there's a lot of commentaries on it back and forth. But things that, what do people desire? We desire peace. We desire security. We desire the state of eternal things when things will not be like they are upon this earth today. Turmoil and wars and rumors of wars and conflict and uh, bloodshed and and men... Uh, as James says, from whence cometh wars and fightings among you, come they not even from your own lust at war in your members? They come from within man. That's where all the wars come from. 
It's on the inside of men. And James tells us that. So, until things are... What's the desire? The desire of our hearts, and we had something about it this morning, about that Gallup poll. What would people say? Will there ever be peace on the earth? Will there ever be a time that we'll have a, a joy and blessings and security when Christ comes? The only answer for this sin-sick world and this world that's in a turmoil is when the desire of nations does come. It says, And I will shake all the nations, verse 7, and the desire of all nations shall come. Even the nations that we talk about that we're fighting with and others that are opposed to us and all nations upon the earth, their real desire deep down as far as the people in general are concerned. We know there will always, always be wicked men among us until Jesus comes. But as far as all nations and people, they would love to have peace and rest and security and things supplied. Well, the Lord is going to take care of that in a future time. Uh, notice what it says here. The silver is mine. Verse 8. The silver of mine. Well, we didn't read all this. Seven first. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will that's verse seven, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. This has to be a, a house that's better than the one that they were looking upon, a future glory. I want you to look at the book of Revelation chapter, if you will, twenty one. Twenty one. Verse twenty two and twenty three. It says, and I saw no temple therein, Revelation 21, no temple. You know, if you move to a town today, you certainly want to go where there's a church, house of God. But here's in heaven, I saw no temple therein. There won't be any need for any temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The very presence of God will be the temple of it. And look in verse 23. It says, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. It says, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Can you imagine that? A place where God's glory alone is sufficient light, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And it says, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, or unto it. So we'll find that... well, let's go on reading. The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So what a glorious day that will be when we find that all this has come to pass. And even Haggai is uh, indicating that. Uh, someone might say, well, where do you find this in the New Testament that this will be the case? Look in the book of, of uh, he- Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's begin reading with verse 18. It says, For ye are not coming to mount the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire. Talking about uh, Mount Sinai. Talking about uh, giving them the law nor into blackness and darkness and tempest. You're not come to that. And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. Remember uh, in Egypt, 
And when the Ten Commandments were given later, when they were delivered, and the law was given to Moses in the book of Exodus, after they were delivered, and the word should not be spoken, the children of Israel said, You know, Moses, you talk to us, but let not God speak to us. For they could not endure that which was commanded. Verse 20. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. Now it says, You are not come. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now look, in contrast for verse 18, for ye are not come. In verse 22, but ye are come unto the Mount Zion. Unto Mount Zion. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Look at this. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. And to God the judge of all. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. And Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, on down, let's read it. See, see that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they re- escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, that's back under the law, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised... Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifies the removing removing of those things that are shaken, as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Look, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. He speaks of that great shaking that Haggai and others also speak of in the future. You know, I have in my margin here in the Bible, you know, it doesn't take me too long to get a sermon. There's one right there. Some things that cannot be shaken. The throne of God cannot be shaken. The Word of God cannot be shaken. The church of God shall not be shaken. The child of God shall not be shaken. And the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. Things that cannot be shaken may remain. And there's some things that will remain. Now back here in Haggai again. Turn back and we'll try to progress in our thoughts here. So in verse 9 it says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. Now we know it wasn't true in Haggai's day. Saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Talks about that shaking. Talks about a future peace. We've already referred to it in the book of Revelation. And a future glory. And a greater glory than existed then. Now then, in, here in verses 10 through 19, you have a message of purity and patience. A message of purity and patience. It says, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Each one of these messages is marked by the word of God coming to Haggai the prophet. Verse 11, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest. Now he's talking about the law and how that they measured up to God's law and God's word in the Old Testament. Purity and patience are the question. Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? That's the question. And the priest answered and said, No. 
Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there, there is unclean. All their offerings and all their works were unclean because... They were in that condition. They were, they were in an unclean condition. So he's bringing up the thought of purity unto them and then patience in relationship to that. They had to first be cleansed. It shows us that separation from evil and from that which defiles is demanded. And it was not only demanded in their day, but beloved, separation from evil and that which defiles is demanded in our day. And God's people need to be separated from evil. The Bible teaches us, we've already, we preached on that in the last message or two, I guess. But it says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, Paul tells the Corinthians. The Bible tells us, I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Dearly beloved, having these promises, or having these promises, dearly beloved, listen, carefully. Let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What does he say? Let us cleanse ourselves. You say, well, you can only be clean through Christ. Yes, He's the only one that can really cleanse us. But then He tells us we have a responsibility to cleanse our own selves in the sense of putting away from our minds and thoughts evil. And sin. Cleanse ourselves from what? All filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit. We know that's not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't need any cleansing. In fact, if you look at the context, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, you'll see that the word Spirit there has a small letter. It means our spirit. Our spirit. And you'll find that that's what it's talking about. So we have certain responsibilities ourselves. You see, God doesn't do everything for us. He lets us take some responsibility. He gives us some responsibility. And there he says, then perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The Bible does tell us also, I believe it's in 2 Timothy, maybe chapter 1 verse 19 or 2.19. Anyway, 2 Timothy. He says this. He says... Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's 2 verse 19. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. God knows, it says, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Now look at the last part of it. God knows who belongs to Him. He acknowledges that we belong to Him. And then what does He say? Those that acknowledge that they belong to Him. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ. Let everyone that professes to be a Christian, if you want to put it that way. (coughs) What? Depart from iniquity. See, God gives us some responsibility too. Just because you're saved by grace doesn't mean that you don't have to fight the battle against the world and the flesh and the devil. And you've got this as a constant battle to fight. Back to Haggai, chapter 2. So notice that they were unclean. Let's pick it up with verse 15. He says, 
And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat to draw, for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. Why did they have this shortage? <clears throat> he says, I want you to consider, verse 15, from this day and upward. I want you to consider the situation before there's ever a stone laid upon this foundation. I want you to consider where you are and why you're in such a state of affairs. He says, how is it that you went, verse 16, to find a, a heap of 20 measures and there were but 10? You didn't have half as much as you thought you had. And he says, uh, there came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels of the press and there were but 20, even less than half. And he says, here's the reason. He says, I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands, yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. So God was calling upon them to turn in repentance. And then things would be different. I wonder if sometimes God is not calling upon our nation to turn and things would be different. And our people and individuals. You know, you hear families complaining. They say, well, why did all this happen to me? And why do I have to go through this? Well, there's some things that are common to man. But on the other hand, sometimes we bring troubles upon ourselves. And sometimes God must chasten us to correct us. And we need to understand that regardless of the situation, we know that we have many trials. And uh, Peter tells us that uh, not to think it's strange when these trials come your way. As though some strange thing happened to you. Yet on the other hand, sometimes we bring things upon ourselves, as we uh, stated a moment ago. And we need to always consider, and all he's asking here, he says, consider from this day and upward, verse, verse 15, before a stone is ever laid in the temple. And he says, since those days were, when you came and you didn't find a, a, the full measure that you wanted, in verse 16... Half as much uh, when you sought 20, uh, 20 measures and there were but 10. When you went to the press fat to draw out and there were 50 vessels out of the press and there were but 20. And he said in verse 17, I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all your labors uh, of your hands. Yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. He's telling them why. Ye turn not to me. Can you imagine how different things would have been for them had they turned to God? Can you imagine how different things would be with us and with our nation if people would turn to God? We've got a whole nation. Really, we've got a, a whole bunch of infidels. And we've got a whole bunch. You know, some people are right when they say they're infidels in, in our nation. And so, uh, we've got a whole bunch of people that need to be turned around. Well, it, it amazes me when we look at situation, how people lie down in the streets, but they won't bow down before God. They lie down in the streets and protest the war that's going on and, and discourage our soldiers and our leaders when they're trying to do what's right. We, may, we don't always do what's right, but at least we try. And they discourage them. And I think it's a crying shame for to see that kind of situation going on when you have people over there buried in the shallow grave, some of our servicemen and 
killed and everything that they're going through. But be that as it may, consider, think of what it would be if we'd turn people back to God. Yet you turn not to me, saith the Lord. Now, verse 18, it says, Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. And what does he say? Is the seed yet in the barn? Question. Yet, yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree had not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. He's saying that a day of true return will be the day that He will bless them. Now then, begin verse 20 through 23. And we said the message is concerning safety. And again, the word of the Lord came into Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. He's speaking of this again. By the way, Zerubbabel is a type of Christ who will come as the ruler and leader and one who is coming as king of kings, lord of lords. of lords. He says, And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. He's talking about the nations. The end of Gentile dominion. The end of Gentile dominion. And those that ride in them, and the horses of their riders, shall come down every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant. We said it's a picture of Christ. The son of Shealtel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet. Doesn't mean him literally, but he's, a, he's tip, typical and symbolical or a type of Christ. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. You read the second chapter of the book of Daniel, and you'll find when Christ puts an end to, to all these nations, you'll find uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, and which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and of clay, and break them in pieces. And you go on down and read of these kingdoms. Let's begin reading, and we'll read in the second chapter, uh, beginning with verse uh, 38. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given into thine hand, and he hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. He speaks of the head of gold as Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonian empire is identified. Then he says, And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, that is, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, and another third, the kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth, the Greco-Macedonian empire. And the fourth kingdom, this is the Roman empire, shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, as the iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes part of the potter's clay and part of the iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it uh, of the strength of iron, so much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the mire clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of the clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with the mire clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. 
And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven, now look, set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. We know that hasn't happened yet. These kings, you'll find it uh, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the revived Roman Empire. And it says, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. So really, in prophetic language, he's speaking of a time when there will be a kingdom that will be set up. Look in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And the Lord Jesus Christ shall be... In Luke chapter 2, I should say. No, I do have it right. Chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Both of them are important. The other verses there in 2. But let's look at Luke chapter 1. When Jesus will come again in power and great glory. Let's read uh, verse 31. Or 30. The angel said unto her, this is Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall look, give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. The promise of the birth of Christ and the fact that it's pointed out there even in His birth that He would reign over the house of Jacob forever and of His kingdom there shall be no end. And that's the kingdom we're talking about. And He talks about the stone. Remember, Jesus even Himself said that He that falls upon this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall it will grind him to powder. He's speaking in the Gospels of the fact that He is that stone that Daniel predicts. And if we fall upon Him or repent and turn to Him in faith, we'll be broken broken uh, from our sins and broken hearted because of our sins. And uh, everything will be alright. But on whomsoever it shall fall, if He has to fall in judgment, it shall grind Him to powder. And He's speaking of the fact that He is the great judgment, a power that will come upon man at the proper time in the proper uh, era of things that are predicted in the Bible in the future time. So, whether it be kingdoms or individuals at the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, verse 10, you'll find that that takes place. But wherever it will be, Jesus is, is the Savior now, but He'll be the judge then. And... Aren't we thankful, and we should be thankful, that the Bible says in John 5.24, you ought to memorize this one. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation or judgment, that final great judgment, but is passed from death into life. We say that that statement means that we're exempt from judgment. Because Jesus bore the judgment of our sins upon Himself. 
You know, I like exemptions, don't you? And I like that better than any exemption that I know of. You could have the IRS exemptions all you want. I'll take this eternal exemption from the great judgment. And every believer has that safety in Christ and that assurance because Jesus paid it all. And all to Him we owe. Thank you for your patience, your kind attention. We'll stand together.